Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith. And I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Yeah, so going to start tonight just by reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So it should be on the screen, but if you have your own Bible, you can turn to it as well. So John, writing in 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So let's pray, and then we'll get stuck in. Father God, we thank you for your love. Pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to grow an understanding of your love tonight, and to grow in the understanding of what it means for us to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So do you ever feel that certain people can be hard to like? And remember, you're in church, so you can't lie. And if the person that's hard to like sitting beside you, don't nudge them, because that's just going to make it awkward on the journey home. But sometimes people can be hard to like. Slow walkers in shopping centers, people who play their beats on phones on the bus, just buy headphones. It's not that expensive. People that are out for a cycle on a country road when it's all twisty and you can't overtake them, use a proper cycle lane. Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> By the way, we are starting an R8 cycling club this week, I believe. So if you want to get involved with that, speak to Carl. And if you want to know which roads to avoid, speak to Carl. <laughs> so you probably don't have to think too hard to think of someone that's awkward and a wee bit hard to get on with. The person in your family that you'd rather didn't turn up to the family events. The person in the group chat that's always sending those annoying messages at two o'clock in the morning and making you wish you'd remember to hit your phone onto silent. The person in your friendship group that is just that wee bit awkward. And remember, if you can't think who that person is, it's probably you. So there's some people that are just hard to like, never mind to love. But would it surprise you to, to know that there's some people in the Bible that also find it hard to love people? It shouldn't really surprise you when you think about it because the people we read about in the Bible like all the characters apart from Jesus, obviously, they're just regular, ordinary humans like us. So they're going to have the same flaws and issues that we have. And there's great encouragement in that because if you think about the flaws that you have and you think about the flaws that the Bible characters had and they were still used by God, so it means that God can still use flawed people like us. So you're probably familiar with the story of Jonah getting swallowed by a giant fish. God had called him to, to preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh. But instead, he decided that he would jump on a ship to Tarshish, going completely the opposite direction. So God sent a storm, and the sailors on the boat chucked Jonah overboard. A giant fish swallowed him, and at that point, Jonah decides to repent and cries out to God and decides that he will then go to Nineveh, which initially it goes quite well. He goes to Nineveh. He warns them that God's going to judge them because of their sinful ways. And the people of Nineveh repent and turn from their former evil acts and instead start crying out to God. And God has mercy on them and doesn't send destruction. And you would think, you would think that would delight Jonah. Because after all, he's successfully seen revival break out in what was regarded as one of the worst, most godless cities. It had over 120,000 people in it. And that was a big deal. Because Nineveh was considered even more corrupt than Lurgan. And... There were significantly more people there than in Portadown and Craigavon. There had been enough stories of revival for Phil to be busy preaching for months nonstop. But Jonah, he's not excited about this. He actually gets furious. 
see, he wanted to see destruction poured out in Nineveh, as he had the mindset that the people of Nineveh were, were too wicked to be worthy of God's grace. He didn't like the people of Nineveh, and so he decided that they were unworthy of being saved, and that's why he had tried to run away in the first place. And Jonah's not the only Bible character that struggles to love people or to like people. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is traveling through various villages, teaching on the way to Jerusalem, and in one Samaritan village, the villagers refused to welcome him in. So two of his disciples, James and John, offer to pray for the village, which seems like a good idea, except they're not offering to pray for a change of hearts. They're offering to pray for fire to come down and burn up the village. And before any of you get any ideas regarding Bambridge, Jesus very quickly rebukes that suggestion. And then there's Peter, the disciple that Jesus declared the church would be built on, who managed to totally zone out whenever Jesus was preaching about turning the other cheek and starts chopping off ears when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. So as you can see, there's a strong biblical precedent for finding it hard to like people. So does that mean that we don't have to like people either? Definitely not. These examples, they're all descriptive, they're not prescriptive. They tell us the struggles that the Bible characters had rather than giving us examples to follow. So tonight I want to spend some time considering why, despite it being hard, we've been instructed to love others. I want to consider why God's called us to make people our priority. And I'll be anchoring the thoughts in some of the writings of John, in John chapter 3 and in 1 John chapter 4. So I don't know about you, but for me, knowing why I have to do something makes it a bit easier to do it, at least most of the time. So hopefully by spending some time tonight unpacking the why behind what we do, you'll find it easier to do the what, and the what is being passionate about people. So knowing the why gives us the motivation to keep going when the going gets tough. And trust me, when it comes to being passionate about people, it will be tough at times because as a psychiatrist, I can assure you that people come with all sorts of issues. And I want to make it clear that I'm speaking as much to myself here tonight as anyone else. I'm not speaking as one that's perfect at always making people my priority, but as one who's convicted. So as a church, we have 10 core values. You may or may not be aware of that. Until last Sunday morning, I thought we had nine, but <laughs> Phil's kept me right. So the good news is that Phil's only asked me to share about one tonight, but the bad news is that in pre-service, we only take a couple of minutes to look at each of the core values, but tonight I've got a bit more time. But if it does whet your appetite to learn a bit more about our values, you can come along to pre-services at 10 on a, a Sunday morning and we'll be sharing each of the 10 values over the next few weeks. And if you don't have a team to serve on, we'll soon put you to work. And after all, church is meant to be an all-play event rather than a spectator sport, so come along, get involved. Jesus has called us each to go and make disciples, to play a part in advancing the kingdom. And then once you're used to coming an hour early to church, you can then start coming at eight for the pre-service -pre prayer time. So you might find the idea of a church having core values a bit unusual. Core values may be something you might expect a business to have rather than a church. You might think that a church should just have a statement of faith, and we definitely do have a statement of faith. You can read it on the website if you want the abridged version, or in the Bible if you want the full version. But the core values, they're just a framework to help us live out our faith. They're markers that show us that our faith is genuine. And that's why our first core value is that Jesus is our story, because without Jesus as the foundation, everything else will crumble away. It's all meaningless if we don't build it on that foundation. But the second value then is that people are our priority, and all the other values are just the outworking of that core value. With Jesus as the foundation, we get to build on the solid rock something that will last and have a lasting impact. We get the chance to impact the culture around us, and at our team night on Wednesday night, Paul Reed did a fantastic job of 
sharing with us the importance of, of knowing what our core values and culture are so that then we can use them as a filter for the world because the world hears our message through our culture. We could be telling them the most theologically accurate unpacking of their need for Jesus, but if it comes through the filter of us being lying, fighting hypocrites with boxing matches in the car park after services, then no one's going to care what we say. They're just going to ignore us. So it's very timely tonight to be looking at our second core value, and that is that people are a priority. You see, when it comes to culture, there's, there's two types of people. There's thermometers that just record what the temperature is, and they merely report on the, temp on the culture around them. And you can see that in a lot of churches where they critique how awful society is. But as well as thermometers, you can get thermostats, and thermostats have a huge difference. I've brought my thermostat from home. It causes a lot of fights in the house because I like it a bit colder, Sheriff likes it hotter. And that's the big difference. See, there's two buttons on a thermostat. There's a plus and a minus where you can adjust the temperature. Because thermostats don't merely report what the temperature is, they let you set the temperature. And people with a thermostat mindset don't just reflect culture, they go out and shape the culture. As church, we've been called to shape the culture around us in our town, our families, and our workplace. We've been called not just to tell the world it's broken, but to model out a better way, the Jesus way. We've been called to be passionate and prioritize people, and that means creating a culture that people are gonna be drawn into. So why are people our priority? There's so many things that you can be passionate about and make the main focus of your life, be it football, food, fashion, rugby. So why have a church if we decided to have people as our priority? Well, simply because God's made people his priority, and so we're just copying him, and there's no one better to copy. The first reason that people are our priority is because Jesus died for them. We've been called to be passionate about the people that Jesus died for. In John 3, verse 16, we're reminded that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's one of those verses that's so, so familiar. Pretty much anyone could quote it without any real church background. And sometimes the familiarity of it can mean that the full weight of those verses those words don't quite sink in. So let's look closely at what John's saying. For God so loved the world. There's no exceptions or exclusions in that verse. It doesn't say, for God so loved those who behave right. It doesn't say, for God so loved those who have it all together. It doesn't say, for God so loved those who live in the right place, or are the right gender, or speak the right language, or support the right football team. It doesn't say, God only loved those who've lived spotless lives, never tripped up, never messed up, never told a lie, never broken the law. It just says God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us, to take the punishment we deserve in order that we could be restored to relationship with him. And that's the most amazing news you'll ever hear. We need to share it with all the people that it applies to too. We just can't keep it to ourselves. Because whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And here's the thing about the word whoever. It literally means whoever. No one's left out or excluded or prevented from accepting that offer of eternal life. It's open to anyone and everyone. We don't get to say no for anyone. We don't get to write anyone off. No matter what they're doing right now, God can still step in to change their life. No matter what you were doing last night or even what you were doing this afternoon before you came here, God can still bring new life to you through the cross of Jesus. If you look at the uh, Apostle Paul, he was on the way to Damascus to murder Christians when God stepped in to change his life. So hopefully whatever you were up to last night didn't compare to that. But God can still use you even if it was. We just might have issues with you joining the kids team. 
God so loved the world that he made eternal life possible for whoever would believe in Jesus. And that's why people are our priority, because whoever includes all people. It means the people that you work with, the people in your family, the person who serves you coffee in the cafe, the people in your gym class, the people who are your neighbors, the people who you'd rather weren't your neighbors, even means people from Lurgan. It means the people in your class that are a wee bit awkward and hard to get on with. It means those with troubled pasts and awkward baggage. You see, to be passionate and to make people our priority, it means not just being passionate about the cool, trendy people, but about all people, the people that it's harder to be passionate about. We have to take the message of the gospel to all people. There's not a person on earth who Jesus didn't die for. Every person alive today is so loved by God that he sent his only son that if we would just believe, they could have eternal life. There's not a person alive who Jesus didn't die for, and so there's not a person that we have an excuse not to be passionate about. The second reason why people are our priority is because all people are made in the image of God. There's a Latin term for this, imago Dei, which just means image of God, and it applies only to humans. We're unique in creation because when God formed us, he made us in his own image. We see that in Genesis 1, verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image. To say that people are made in the image of God is to recognize and acknowledge that we all have a unique and special quality. We alone are the creatures through whom God's plans and purposes can be made known. This puts us above all created animals, for we alone are made in God's image. As great as your dog may be, it's not made in the image of God. As special as your cat may be, it's not going to be able to know God and find freedom. And even non-Christians grasp this to an extent. If you're finding the bills a bit tight at the end of the month and you look through the spreadsheets and you see that the kids are your biggest expense, no one's gonna say they're the ones that have to go. It's always gonna be the, go the dog that gets cut or sent to the farm. You see, as humans, we're made in the image of God and that gives us infinitely more worth and value than even the cutest of puppies. The moral implication of the doctrine of Imago Dei is that if we're to love God, then we have to love other humans because each human is made in the image of God. We love God by loving people who are made in his image, which just can't do one or the other. We can't love God without being passionate about the people he created, the people made in his image, the people that Jesus died for. There's not one person who isn't made in the image of God, so we must love all people. We must make it our priority to help all people come to a place where they're able to discover that they've been made in God's image. We must be dedicated to helping all people come to know that God loved them so much that he gave his only son so that if they would believe in him, they could receive freedom and eternal life. And it's important to remember that on a personal level too. You're made in the image of God and that gives you value and worth. When we grasp that we're made in the image of God, it gives us a real profound sense of our dignity and our significance. We're his masterpiece, the pinnacle of creation there are no insignificant people because we're all made in the image of our creator. No matter what you feel about yourself, your body or your life, you're made in the image of God. No matter what label the world tries to put on you, you're made in the image of God. No matter what lies the devil tries to convince you of, you're made in the image of God and you have value and worth because of that. All people are made in the image of God and so all people have value and must be treated with the dignity and respect that's due to God's image bearers. And this impacts how we treat everyone. We must be passionate about all people and give equal value, dignity, and respect to people of every race, every gender, every age. It means we must be passionate about not just the trendy cool people, but about all people, the homeless people, the elderly, the sick, the mentally unwell, 
those with profound learning difficulties, and those who aren't yet born. We've been called to make people our priority, because if we deny our or their unique status as God's image bearers, we'll begin to depreciate the value of human life, and we'll start treating other people as merely animals. And even the least valuable person in the world's eyes is of such great value to God that he sent his son to die for them, for the forgiveness of their sins. We can't write anyone off, because no matter what their circumstances, they've been made in the image of God, so we have to make them our priority. When you look at the statistics for our local area, we estimate that there's roughly 71,000 people who are not connected in any way to God, and thousands more that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. These people are each people made in the image of God. They're each a person made and loved by God. They're each a person that Jesus died for. And the sad reality is that each person from those 71,000 plus is a person who will be spending eternity cut off from God unless they respond personally to what Jesus did for them on the cross. You see, that's why we do what we do. That's why people are our priority. We're not just here to create a big church. We're not just here to get people to raise hands at the end of a service. We're here to reach people with the love of Jesus and to let them see how the cross changes everything, how fullness of life is found in surrender to Jesus and not in going it your own way. So let's look closely then at, at what John wrote in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what's John saying? Let's break it down a wee bit. See, John, by this point, has spent years mulling over his time that he got to spend with Jesus. It's likely that he wrote this letter towards the end of his life, so we can be confident that he was very convinced of what he was writing. He gives us a clear definition of what God is like. God is love. And at the time, that would have been absolutely mind-blowing because the people of the day had no framework for relating to God as love. The pagan gods were angry gods needing constant appeasement and impressing. You see, John is not simply telling us about a quality that God possesses. He's making a statement about the essence of God's being. It isn't just that God loves amongst other things that he does, but that God is love. We don't have to earn God's love. It's not conditional on anything that we do. We don't have to impress him first to get him to love us. He is love. He loves us because his nature is to love, not because of anything we've done.
John's also saying that love's the marker that defines if we've received new resurrection life. It's by our love for one another that we'll show we've truly received new life, having died to the old ways and risen to the new life. It's by loving one another that we'll be able to show the world that we know God. It's by loving one another that we show that our faith in Jesus is genuine. You see, John teaches us that no matter what you claim to believe, if you don't show love, you can't truly know God because his nature is love. John shows us that the ultimate example of love was that Jesus came to die for our sins. He emphasizes that Jesus was God's only son, and John's emphasizing the enormity of how big a deal God's love for us is. He sent his only son. He gave us his all, and that's how loved you are, that God sent his only son. No matter how far off you might feel, no matter how distant you feel from God, no matter how unworthy you think you are, no matter what you've done, God sent his only son into the world because of his love for you. You're God's priority. You weren't an afterthought to him. From the beginning of time, it was always the plan that Jesus would come to make a way for us to be restored to relationship with God. Loving people was God's priority, so loving people has to be our priority too. We love because he first loved us. Love is how we respond to the love that God showed us in sending Jesus to die in our place. God didn't hold anything back. He gave his all, and that's what we have to do too. John warns us that if we don't love people who are made in the image of God, then we can't claim to love God. You can't love God without loving his children, the people who are his priority. John points out that when we love God, we love his people. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, his sister, the image bearers of God. And that's how non-Christians will encounter the love of God, by witnessing our love for one another, by seeing that people are our priority. It means loving not just in word, but in action too, getting our hands dirty doing the modern day equivalents of washing one another's feet, loving one another by serving one another. It's as we love one another that the life of God is manifest in us and is able to grow. It's through our love for people that others will see the love of God within us. You see, God sent his one and only son to be the savior of the world. He didn't count the cost. We too must love without counting the cost. We have the responsibility of taking the message of God's love to the world making it our priority to ensure that all people hear and experience it. You see, there's so many people in our social circles that would never accept an invitation to church, at least not yet. They'll reject an invitation to a Sunday service, but they won't reject love. Love's how we're gonna break down barriers and open hearts to the gospel. Our priority is people coming to know God and accepting Jesus as their savior. So we must love people. So as we bring this into the land and as the band join us again, what does all this look like practically? How do we live out having people as our priority? I think a great example can be found by looking at the earliest days of the church, seen in Acts chapter two from verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this was what the church was like right at the start, just after Jesus had returned to heaven. 
And it was a church that was growing daily, a church that was passionate about reaching out to people. There were four things that the church was known for. They were known for being a learning church devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were a loving church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, meeting together every day, caring for one another, meeting the needs of each other. They were a worshiping church devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. And they were an evangelistic church, seeing their number being added to day by day. They didn't just do outreach now and again. This was an all day, every day thing for the early church. In everything they did, they aimed to share with people the message of forgiveness through the cross of Jesus. They made people their priority at all times, not just for a season now and again, not just when it was convenient, not just when it fitted their schedule, but day and daily. We can't just fit this into our schedule as one more thing to take off the to-do list. People have to be our priority at all times. You see, the example of the early church shows us that it's, it's not just enough to be devoted, devoted to solid teaching and good worship, as important as they are. We also have to have people as our priority. The early church met in each other's homes and attended temple together. They did life in small groups. It was by being passionate about one another that they were able to grow in their relationship with God and inspire and encourage each other to make an impact in their social circles. The community that they had was attractive to those that weren't yet believers and would have played a major role in opening up hearts to the message of the gospel. Having people as our priority means that we need to be serious about groups. It starts with being part of a group and extends to inviting others into your group. You need to be in a group, but the group also needs you in it. We each have unique things that we can bring to a group, and there's current or potential future group members who need us there to help them in their walk with God. We can't just pay lip service to the idea of groups. The Christian life isn't just about coming to church for a couple of hours on a Sunday. It's meant to impact every aspect of our life, to spill out into the Monday to Sunday, nine to five jobs, school life, work life, everything that we do. And the way we do that is by being in a group. It's in groups that we get the opportunity to put our gifts into use, to encourage one another, to share with one another the burdens that we have as we walk this journey of faith. Our groups aren't meant to be holy huddles, but open and inviting. If you remember nothing else from tonight, remember that you need to get in a group of Christians who are gonna help you stay grounded in God's love for you and inspire you and encourage you to share that love with others. So just to wrap up, how do we care for people when it's hard? Because let's face it, some people are hard to like. In my work life, I come across people all the time that can be challenging to like, and that's just the nurses and the pharmacists, never mind the patients. But what we have to remember is why we do what we do. We have to remember when we're faced with someone challenging, that they're a person made in the image of God. They're a person that Jesus died for, a person who's so loved by God, not just loved a little bit, but so loved. We have to remember that people aren't an inconvenience or a pain. They're why we do what we do. We can't just write them off because being passionate about them might be a bit messy or disrupt our comfortable church bubble. We have to love them and point them to Jesus, remembering that we aren't doing it for what we can get out of it, but for what they can get out of it. And what they can get out of it is eternal life. That's the motivating force that helps us persevere with keeping people, all people, our priority, even when it's hard. Like the early church, we have to be devoted to fellowship which means getting out of our comfort zones, going beyond the shallow superficial chats over coffee and really getting to know people, inviting them to a group and sowing seeds of faith into their life. The goal is to make disciples, to love one another because God so loved us, helping people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. People are our priority and we all have a role to play. So let's pray. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. 
If you did, there's just a few things I'd like you to do. Subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed. Secondly, if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can go onto our website at ariatchurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Ariat Church Podcast.